So much in life is scripted, but this is unedited. Listen in as we have casual conversations about art and faith. Welcome to Unedited. This is Jennifer Chetlett, and sadly, Farley Sanderford is not here because I am in Liverpool, um, and we'll get into why I'm here a little bit uh, later. And this episode's a little different. There's going to be two parts to this. There's two different people um, that I interview while we're here, um, and the first is uh, Howney. Uh, we're, I'm here with Howney, so welcome. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast. Um, and I've just met you this week. Your family's lovely. Thank you for having us. No, it's great having you here. Um, so some of you may know, honey, but for those of you who don't, um, can you tell me three things about yourself that would surprise people? Right. Um, so I, I'm originally from Brazil. I have now lived out of Brazil for 19 years. Okay. That's a long time. Um, I speak four languages. Four languages. Okay. But there's got to be something like, because I've heard stories about you. Tell me something a little better than that. That would surprise people. Right. I, th- I think actually something that is quite shocking is that I'm from Brazil, but I'm an English teacher as well. Yes. So yeah, I'm a musician. I, I love art. I have some... Um, some experience, but um, it's also some dark days. Sure, bit. everyone has them. So I, um, yes, I um, played in about three uh, bands. Uh-huh. They were heavy metal bands. See, I can't see that. And uh, my hair was very long. It was below my waist, actually. Wow. So it's just like 90s, 80s? 90s, yes. Okay. So like 90s. the grunge? Were you like into the grunge? Movie? Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of the Nirvana. Yeah. Um, yeah, Soundgarden. And okay. Pearl Jam and all wow. that. Wow. So all the way in Brazil? Yeah, yeah. I was a bit into a lot heavier music than that as well. Okay. That's why you hear my voice is very croaky today. Because of that? Uh, yeah. I, uh, Were you a screamer? Did you uh, like scream? Yeah, I just really? didn't want to um, look after my voice at all, so that really yeah. affected. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I right, see. That's what I wanted. Something good. You know? Thank you for giving me the nudge. Yes, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, four languages. I speak um, Portuguese. It's my mother tongue. Mm-hmm. I speak Spanish as well, English, uh, Hindi, and a fair amount of Urdu as well. Okay. A fair amount of? Urdu. Okay. Urdu. Okay, sorry. Yeah. No, fine. <laughs> that I've heard. Yeah, we yeah. kind of uh, tend to say the, the language in the, with the accent. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, got it. Okay, um, I want to talk about the language school because mm-hmm. it is an amazing place. Um, how many students do you have? Um, it really depends on seasons. Uh, sometimes we have uh, full-time tables, so that could go up to 40, 50 students at one time. Okay. And then it depends on the season, the time of the year, that drops a little bit. Sometimes it can go a bit more. All right, so your language, I don't know if we said this, you teach mostly refugees or is it anyone who wants to learn English? It's it's a mix. Uh, it's anyone who wants to learn English. Um, we, all our teachers are qualified to teach mm-hmm. and uh, we like people to have the best experience really um, possible, mm-hmm. both with the quality of the teaching, but also the atmosphere of the school. So that means um, just teaching through a lot of creativity and uh, and different methods that is not just book based mm-hmm. uh, but also as you already mentioned uh, a big number of our students are refugees mm-hmm. and they will be from various different countries 
And for a lot of these people um, that we are interacting with here, they are professionals, they're people that mm -hmm. had had a fair amount of respect and honor in mm -hmm. what they did, mm -hmm. in their lives and everything. Mm -hmm. And suddenly all of that is is gone within right. within a day. Right. So uh, part of what we feel that is our role in the school is also to to build that classroom context where someone is coming from uh, Iran, from Syria, from Iraq, from Sudan, and they are in the class with full-paying students um, that will be enjoying the same quality of the class from Brazil, mm. from mm. other parts of the world, mm. uh, uh, France and Spain and Portugal. So, yeah, so we like to create that environment where the refugees have the opportunity to learn English, but also uh, already feel that they are in a bit of normality, as if they sure. were. So um, the, the cost is different for them? The, uh, yeah. Oh, well, we actually do not charge the okay. refugees for classes. Sure. It's not a great business principle, right? <laughs> but we feel that um, we are a business, we are a genuine business, and we just uh, we feel that you know part of working well is to, to make profit, but actually... Um, all our staff really have that heart that right. we need to go the extra mile and they do something that is meaningful mm -hmm. and impactful. And we feel that we saw the situation of refugees here in this city and we just felt all felt we wanted to embrace that. Mm -hmm. So part of the business operating well is providing opportunity for us to afford mm -hmm. uh, embracing the refugees and teaching them mm -hmm. without any cost. So what, what is the refugee situation in Liverpool? It's probably very similar to most cities where there's a big flux of refugees arrive, arriving. Uh, Liverpool is a city where one of the main home offices, uh, that's what we call it here, is the, the government office that deals with immigration and all of that. So the first one is in London, uh, one of the, the second biggest is in Liverpool. And um, we tend to deal with uh, a certain number of, of nationalities. So we get a lot of Iranians, a lot of Syrians, a lot of Sudanese and some other nationalities as well. Um, but um, I think the situation at the moment is very difficult because I, 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 that's from my perspective. I don't think the government is coping mm -hmm. with the number of people. Because more are coming than they more can. More are coming. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that um, it is difficult because... Um, there have been a few uh, a few uh, cases of people being denied the right to remain in the UK, mm -hmm. even though they have claimed asylum here. Right. Um, so for some of these people, uh, that process of arriving here and claiming asylum and hearing the answer, uh, for some of the Iranians we teach, that could take up to three years for them to hear wow. an answer. Wow. So that means not legally being they can't out. work right no they're, okay. they're not allowed to work they're not allowed to get a driving license so are they on government assistance how are they living yeah so the refugees when they first arrive in the uk uh, and that's the standard for every refugee doesn't matter the nationality they are on five pounds a day which is probably about seven seven yeah, seven, and a half dollars. seven dollars yeah. so um yeah so they they uh have their accommodation provided for okay. as long as they're here in that process okay. um but that five pounds a day is for transport food and clothing and everything. okay and so i've been here for like five days and i spend that just for point of reference i spend five dollars or five pounds on like tea and a pastry or two at at your coffee shop mm. that alone and i'm sure you can eat 
better than what I'm doing, but it doesn't go very far. No, it doesn't. And and I think one of the one of the things that really it really breaks our hearts just because we we have been teaching people that they they as I mentioned before a. a, a big majority of these people they are professionals they're people that have planned that had already established a life for themselves before they came into being in a position of having to leave their country so uh, they realize that if they're going to be here they, they must learn English so mm. we've had people that we knew very clearly that they were choosing not to eat mm. in order to pay for their bus fare to come to class right wow. so um, there isn't really much we can actually do um, right with that but mm-hmm. we try we try to get some sponsorship um, through connections and and through the business so have you seen any increase in numbers since like the u.s has you know we're not taking as many refugees with the current administration have you has that changed your situation here or not really well it's, it's very hard to know because we we do have some contacts of people that you know will will tell us uh, some some will give us some information but um, we have definitely seen a massive increase in the last four to eight weeks okay. of um, refugees coming from Sudan, okay. um, East, North, uh, East and Northwest um, Africa, really, mm. um, which we haven't, we, we haven't had before. many before. Okay. You know. And you have all adults. I saw mostly adults when I was there. Yes, it is. We, we choose to work just with, uh, with adults only because... Um, which is a good thing. The UK is very strict with uh, work with children and mm, um, right. something called CRB and uh, uh, all the staff working uh, with that with children uh, have to be quali- qualified to do that. Right. And um, most of our staff is actually qualified to do that, but then it just changes the dynamic of sure. interacting adults. And, sure. and a lot of these adults will be in a vulnerable position as well. So um, we our focus just being like that is a bit easier for us to... Just work with right. So on average, I know every student is different, but a student who comes in who can't speak English at all, mm-hmm. about how long does it take them to become like functionally fluent? It depends on on the student, right? And I realize, um, but just yeah. an average, like probably uh, if they come from what we call A one, which is like the first level, that will probably take them about six months. Six months to to be able to communicate well. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that they will be fluent, right? But good enough to, to, to get a job to get a job and um, yeah okay interesting are you seeing are you able to develop relationships or like are you seeing a community develop or are these just students who kind of pass through um i think a bit of both we do have a community um uh, there's a few students that do stick around i think your previous question connects to this as well i think one of the things that is is very frustrating is that uh, we're building something, we're building the language uh, with the refugees and then uh, they go, once they arrive here in Liverpool, they cannot guarantee to anybody that they're going to be allowed to stay here. Mm-hmm. So some people start their courses, they come and they start feeling a bit safer in an environment where there's a community around them and then suddenly the government will come and say, you must move to that city. Mm-hmm. So And they have no say, no decision in that. Wow. So they, they have to go where the government tells them to. Wow. So then, you know, they go and start again. And I actually, 
um, I think this is it is, is not a very nice thing for them because um, they're already in so much instability. Um, you know, having to arrive here is sure. a massive deal for them. And they've been through all the trauma that exactly. caused them to leave their country exactly. in the first place. And the journey itself for right. a lot of them. I mean, the stories we hear are just mm. uh, terrible. But uh, and then they start feeling a little bit of a of of normality, or you know. And then suddenly it all goes again, right. which is which is really hard. Right. Um, I want to shift gears and talk about your building a mm-hmm. little bit because your building is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're only using the top two floors of your building right yeah. now, and um, the one opens to the other, and it's got beautiful wood beams. And um, the floor that you're using is where all the classrooms are. And then upstairs, you've got it's just a, like a lovely community lounge type space feel, yeah. um, which is great. What can you tell me about your building? Yeah, I think um, we just started driving around the city looking for, for places. And um, I don't know, I just love this idea of redemption, mm. you know. And um, Liverpool is the second city out, outside London with the, the biggest number of listed buildings. Mm. Uh, that okay, means listed, that buildings, historical. In our in US, they would, be co- they would be considered on the historical registry. That's right. So... Um, no one can alter these buildings, uh, but actually a huge number of these buildings are just boarded up. No right. one is utilizing them. Right. So the government won't allow you to make any changes to these buildings, but also uh, there's a lot of these buildings going to waste because sure. they're not being used. So we just started driving around the city looking for possibilities where the best uh, area would be and, and all of that. And I, I really got caught into these buildings and um, yeah so we we had a few possibilities we spoke to a few people from from the local council and the government and uh, and suddenly we just came across this guy that said i have a building would you like to have a look and we went and we had a look and we just loved it and um, they really believed in what we were doing mm-hmm. uh, both uh, from the business side but also our work with the refugees and they were very happy for us to to use the building to rent it to us uh, at that stage and let us use those two floors. Mm, that's great. Um, okay, so that brings me to why we're here, mm-hmm. uh, because you invited us to bring our traveling art show that we've taken to many different places called Love Your Neighbor, mm-hmm. because you have a vision of using your space for art mm-hmm. also. Um, so before we talk about the show, the other thing you asked us to do was to host a workshop, a mm-hmm. painting workshop, which was so much fun. We really, thank you for, you know, no, it, was, they, it was, they all really loved it. It was great. We just really um, loved working with your students. Uh, a little, the language was a little, um, a little made it a little trickier than I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, but I, I did learn there is a universal phrase. In case you want to know, search the Google. <laughs> right, everyone knows yeah. that because when we would say, you know, if they needed to look up a picture, everyone yeah. knows search the Google. Search the Google that is a uni- universal phrase, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Um, so, what were your thoughts behind the workshop, and what, and how do you feel like it went? I know how we feel like yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think it was so great. I've got some great pictures uh, of what you guys were doing. It was really, it was really encouraging because um, I think I mentioned to you before, but the 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 room that you use for the workshop, uh, which is going to be our uh, little studio, mm-hmm. our room. So for those that haven't been to the school, so every room is, is named after a city. Um, so we, we have these beautiful murals of, of a si- the scene of a city at the back. And uh, the art room, we, we just didn't know what what expression it would take. So we're still in the look for, for a name for that room. Okay, so what cities do you have? You have... Paris. Paris. Yeah, we have New York. Mm-hmm. We have Rio in mm-hmm. Brazil, and we have Liverpool. 
Okay, so the art, if the art one is not going to be Paris, perhaps it should be Rome? Yeah, we, well, we, we were actually wondering whether it, would, it should be the name of a city or something completely different that okay. reflects art. Maybe okay. Like the palette room or something yeah. like okay. that. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, you guys have come up with something great, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, those workshops were great. Okay, and so now let's move into talking about um, the show. So you all reached out to us. I guess you had seen our or heard about our traveling yeah, exhibition. I followed it on um, Facebook, I think it was. Okay. Yeah, and I love the pieces that you were exhibiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly about three, four, I just thought it was so beautiful. Yes. And I think for us, uh, just uh, what caught my attention was the name of your tour, the exhibition, right. you know, the Love Your Neighbor. I think this is something that we are, yeah, we're just living that here. And right. uh, we want... We want the, the refugees to, that we're working with and the, the, our customers as well. I think one of the things that we love about our business is that it provides that place for the local people or people from other nationalities to interact with the refugees yeah. and, and break those, those preconceived ideas that, right. you know, that the media so much portrays about, about the refugees, that they're right. just normal people with stories, right. that with... Uh, with tastes and and preferences and yeah, and great personalities, families and everything else, and uh, and that does happen there. And I think, um, but also we want to help the refugees to to come into a place that they can eventually help other refugees as well mm. in settling down. Mm. So um, yeah, that is really hard. So I think that. The love your neighbor but just really um, spoke to us and that. a word about the art and we'll pr- um, put pictures of the exhibit up on the gallery edit social media I think some might be up already but we'll definitely get more up um, a lot of the art that we curated for that show are images of people from all different cultures all different uh, walks of life all different socioeconomic kind of the whole idea is that um, your neighbor is more than the person who lives next door to you mm. Your neighbor is the homeless person on the street. Your neighbor is uh, the person who worships differently than you. And yeah. so we really try to reflect that um, in the art. And I know what piece you're talking about, uh, the piece um, of the woman. And it's interesting that you talked about your dream was for refugees to kind of become part of the community and give back to the community because that piece of art, that's exactly the woman who's painted. Um, that is her story in Richmond. She arrived in Richmond as a refugee and participated in our, um, job skills class that we offer and we teach sewing and she participated and decided she wanted to give back and ended up helping to teach that class. Mm. So I think it makes sense that she wanted that one aside than that. It's really nice. Well, it was a little bit with, um, you know, the, the girl in one of your workshops as I just I just popped around to see what was happening I saw this little piece on the little canvas and I thought there's something that that was one of our Iranian students you know uh, painting oh right right and, yeah, but um, and that. then afterwards I was just chatting to her she started showing all the paintings in, mm-hmm. in her Instagram and yeah she, she was talented there was yeah. like she knew what she was doing <laughs> But the interesting thing is, we, we did you we, not know that about her? No, oh, okay. we've been looking for artists to be around the building mm-hmm. and, and produce art in the studio and all of that, and uh, and we never knew she was one of our English students. Right. But we never knew that she she painted. Yeah, so so we only found her out because of the workshops. So, uh uh-huh. you know, really She's exciting. connected with me on Instagram. Yeah, and um, has like messaged me her. So she's 
trying her English. She's messaged me, right. and yeah. she um, was at the concert last night, which we'll talk about. Um, but to, and had her husband tell me that she wants to learn pottery, which is what mm-hmm. I do. That she loves pottery, so she's a lovely woman. Excellent. And her son is as, as cute as he can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had a two night show, um, this weekend. And, uh, so tell me your thoughts about that. Like, is it what you expected? What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think every, every event that we've had is just, they've just been very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, uh, do event, events, our events very often only because of the, currently the space that we have available to do that, but also the, the amount of work it takes to put a, yes. an event like that. So we, um, yeah, this event was very different. I think that um, so far we've had uh, one artist exhibiting. Mm. So um, yeah, collaborative the, shows are different. Yeah, the artists, you know, it will be from one artist alone, and and it's got great. But I think sure. having that variety of the different artists uh, mm. with the exhibit that you brought with Love Your Neighbor and um, and all the different types of art as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just having different artists, but it's just like, you know, in one wall you had some things so different and suddenly you look mm-hmm. to the other side, it's just completely, completely different. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really special. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then one thing that we, we love is the, the art being expressed in as many forms as possible during sure. the event. So we had the music last night. Yeah, talk um, about Lorena Chavez. I had no idea who she was, and then I looked her up on Instagram. She's got like 94,000 followers. Yeah. She's a big deal. Yeah, she's, she's, she's a big deal in Brazil. crazy talented. She is. So Lorena Chavez is a singer from Brazil, and she... Um, she Lorena's got her own style, uh, which is what I love about her. She's not about pleasing everybody, mm. uh, but she keeps her music. She writes all her songs. She doesn't. She has never sung anybody else's songs. So mm. um, she's got a very traditional, uh, classic Brazilian sound to her voice okay. and instrument, which is very appealing to a lot of um, Western listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's all in Portuguese, but we saw the release of. Two English songs, songs. they were great. Amazing songs. And obviously we feel so proud of her because we've been teaching her English. So Lorena came in February uh, for our first event Mm -hmm. and the opening. And she she also performed and it was it was such a a good, you know, response. We had such a good response and uh, we just uh, spoke to her and she said I would love to, to learn more English. So she ended up coming with her husband, who was the first artist to exhibit as well. And they've been studying English with us now for three months. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. So, as you saw yes, last night, we just had her perform. So, she was Again. great. She was she great. Was great. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what's next for you? Like, what, dream for a minute. Tell me what your vision is. Well, I have to be careful because I can, I can dream a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, uh, the plan really would be to, to have the whole building available. That would include two more floors. Mm. Uh, we would love to expand the art gallery so uh, we have a permanent gallery Mm. Uh, the idea is that as we have the shows coming through uh, the the building that um, every artist or show would contribute to building something that will tell a story Mm. uh, that you're trying to build a permanent collection yes so that would be in the ground floor Mm. uh, where we would have the cafe which Mm. Um, you probably try the coffee it's really good uh, and we yeah, just amazing. we would love to uh, have that cool environment where people can just come and develop art but also look at art have a coffee 
talk, build community. I, I would love for people to arrive and feel like, whether they are paying customers or refugees to feel mm. this is a good place. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of things that happens for refugees is out of great heart, um, but there's always a lack of something. There's always a little void. It's mm. like that charity aspect mm-hmm. to it. And I think that, you know, these are these are great people and sure. they have taste. They, they like things to be nice. And right. I think our heart is really to provide the best possible mm. place for them to interact and, and feel honor and respect, but right. also feel like they have a place to go. Because a lot of these, the asylum seekers, uh, you know, they live in hostels, still have a tiny little room, mm-hmm. uh, sharing bathrooms, and yeah. they don't go out. And for those that have a long wait until they hear uh, a, re- a reply from the government, you know, it's uh, a lot of them end up going into depression mm-hmm. and different things. You can see outside, for those that are not in England, it's grey and wet, and that is most of our year, really. It has rained almost every day we've been here, yeah. I have to say, like, even if it's just for a few minutes, so, and I hear it's, that's pretty common. It is common, and I think that also, um, you know, it's, it works for us here uh, in the UK, <laughs> but the culture, it is a cold climate culture, mm, it's not right. a warm culture, but a lot of the refugees coming, they are from warm cultures sure. where, you know, you just pop into each other's house and you cook mm, together, mm. and that community feel uh, they don't have really here. Right. It's interesting um, how the weather affects how it, people it live. It does affect, yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, not only do they leave that behind, uh, but they also, you know, come here and arrive in a complete opposite culture. Right. Uh, and I think that for them, for those that manage to break through the, the, the you know, the temptation of, of just locking themselves up and not going out at mm. all and facing depression, uh, it works even against the adaptation here because they will all stick together, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and make that tiny little community mm-hmm. where they all speak the same language and everything. They'll they never that. really yeah. integrate yeah. in life here. So we need to find a healthy balance in helping them to build community right. and also, you know, right. uh, learn the language which is the main tool that they need to, to have a, a good life here yeah. or at least... That have the opportunity to start. Right. Well, I think you're well on your way. You guys have an amazing space and it's just a great feel there. And um, we are so thankful that you asked us to come. Uh, we were so blessed really to have you here mm-hmm. and um, humbled by your heart and all your work. And um, yes, yeah, so I think it's not going to be the last one. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> Okay, I am here in Liverpool with David Skews, and if you have been around World Horizons for any time at all, you have probably heard that name. So I wanted to take this opportunity um, for everyone else to get to know him a little bit better as I have on this trip. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Hello. You're a retired businessman, sort of. Sort of. Don't tell my wife. I won't, no. Um, But you were a lawyer before you? I was. You started with World Horizons? Okay, so that's like... Can you fill in that gap for us between your then and now? Yep. So I graduated in law mm-hmm. and out of that, I then went to London to practice law and I exited that probably due to an unsuccessful choice of career hmm. and found a comfort in doing business. So I came out of law into business and that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. All right. Well, you kind of answered my next question of how you got from that professional role to this one. Can you talk to me spiritually? Like what, 
what happened? Like, what led you? Well, I came to faith at mm -hmm. university studying law. Studying law for me was looking at God's divine principles and how those principles apply to legal situations. So that was my entrance in. Mm -hmm. My conversion process came through arguing about the witnesses to Christ's resurrection. Hmm. So that was the starting point for me. How did I unpack two women witnesses in the garden that mm. wouldn't have been recognized in a court. And so my faith journey was through that. And the business side was very much a sacred secular divide for okay. me. I went to church on Sunday mm -hmm. and all week I was doing business as hard and as fast and as dangerous as I, as I could. When I first started with this organization, the whole idea of business's mission was a new one to me, um, and it was intriguing. Can you just give us like your elevator pitch on what business's mission is? Well, my, my introduction came through an absolute surprise sitting in a conference in 2002, mm -hmm. and I first heard the words myself. Okay. I was a businessman. I knew God had called me to mission. I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I bumped into a guy from World Horizons who said, let me explain this to mm. you and then nurtured me for five years where I learned how business missions could work. The elevator's pitch is, pitch is that business missions is just one of those tools that God uses right. to proclaim the kingdom of God in a sphere, right. just like he might in art mm -hmm. or law or politics and government. Mm -hmm. Business happens to be the one where I feel called into. And I've come to understand that calling in a much different way through applying it into the businesses mm -hmm. that I run myself and then later supporting other businesses mm -hmm. that want the same thing, yeah. claiming the gospel through what we're doing. Okay, are you starting businesses? Are you mentoring business leaders? Did so currently, we have a, quite a large number of businesses at mm -hmm. different stages of development. Okay. From an idea in someone's head, a worker's gone to a country and thinks, I'd like to do business. Mm -hmm. So from that, right through to businesses that are trading over a million dollars in nations, having a spiritual impact, a social impact, and making a profit. Mm -hmm. So they are real live businesses mm -hmm. with real live issues but they're impacting the communities that they're in with the gospel of Jesus. Mm. What, what you said that really stood out to me was that um, that you that disciple making uh, happens when the employee starts working and not when they enter the kingdom of God or make a profession of faith. And I thought that was really um, a shift for me. And I think kind of counter to what I've grown up hearing in the church, but it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, if, if I think about parenting, I didn't wait for my children to make a profession of faith to start discipling them. And I'm, I'm yeah, so talk, talk to me more about that. Yeah, I think I stumbled into that a little bit as well. I think that the, the way that we talk about it, you see, business for most people is separate to what mm -hmm. goes on in a church. Right. But actually, when we unpack it as believers in a cold environment, whether that's teaching or whether that's in business, the discipleship process is about how we conduct our life in that environment. Mm -hmm. So it's perfectly natural that when we employ people, we describe these are the values that we hold to. Mm -hmm. This is what is important to us. And our faith is really important mm -hmm. to us. And we share that from day one. Mm -hmm. That's the, the plan. Now, we could be in, in different countries where that's very very difficult and the timings of all that 
we're not contracting people into the kingdom of God. But we are saying this is the way we run this business. Mm. We care for our employees and this is how we demonstrate it. This is how we love our neighbor. This is how we love our suppliers. We pay them on time. So that is threaded through the business. And discipleship works in that environment where we say this is how we do the work. Yeah. Yeah, So I hadn't made that analogy till right now, but it very very much is um, this is how our family runs. This is how we treat people. This is, you know, um, in that you're sort of laying a foundation for them by, by living it, by modeling it, um, which I think is really, really um, effective. All right. So I have a question for you. Um, do you think churches should be run like a business? Tell me, talk to me about, yes. Talk to me about the, like the difference, like always, because, you know, a lot of churches, I don't know, I've been a part of churches that very much do not run like, a, you know, run, run like a business at all. Yeah. Business brings something to church as it would bring something to any other sphere that mm-hmm. God is operating in a church, as I see as one of those spheres of society. Now, I think if we adopt too many business principles into a church, we start to lose Mm -hmm. the purpose of the church. Mm -hmm. But when we analyze leadership, the leadership qualities Mm -hmm. that we look at Mm -hmm. and the giftings of the Holy Spirit for leadership in a church is exactly the same as those we're looking for leadership in businesses. Okay. So we want an evangelist. We want a prophet. We want wow. a, we want these people in and operating within the business. Mm-hmm. So there are similarities. And I think business can bring a lot to help churches operate in a more efficient way, in right. a better way. Right. But let's not put business people in charge of churches. It would be a disaster. Yeah. And let's not put pastors in charge of businesses. Hmm. They are different callings mm-hmm. with the same goal. Right. The whole basis that this lays on is about it's the whole church going to the whole world with yeah. the whole gospel. That, yeah. for me, is what it's about. Right. Not just picking a few people out of a congregation or out of a business and saying, you go to missions. Mm. We are all at missions. Right. We're all doing that. Give me um, some numbers. How many How many businesses? Uh, and can you tell me about a few of them, like successes, failures, why? Okay. So I have a role in the global movement. And mm-hmm. That could represent, we, we don't know for sure, but certainly in excess of 10,000 businesses that are operating in the world. Within World Horizons, we have around 80 to 100 businesses in transition. And if we relate that to what's happening globally, we're seeing that World Horizons has taken a leading position over these last 10 years Mm. because we're seeing really other agencies attempting and trying to work with this. But we've gained a lot of experience, a lot through failure, a lot through difficulties. But our agency has been really open and has drawn this in and has seen this as a growth point. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to communicate the gospel of Jesus. So we have probably continue I'm engaged with 20, 30 businesses and we're building a team here in Liverpool that will help to provide a better service to them. Mm. Additional training. So we'll bring them in to do entrepreneur training, but in the four bottom lines. Mm -hmm. Yes, make profit. Yes, impact the environment. Yes, impact society and communities. But yes, impact with a spiritual impact too. How do we carry this gospel through what we're doing? So there's there's a lot of business and they're spread out across the nation. All right, give me an example. Tell me a story. Okay. Um, I'll tell you a story. I'll just leave the the country out right now because it's a difficult country. But a family went out to Africa Mm -hmm. and um, they were 
really felt led to start a business on the coast and they mm -hmm. bought a boat mm -hmm. and we looked at this boat and we thought this is never going to work as a business mm -hmm. but faith rose up in an amazing way and it developed and it developed mm -hmm. and recently the owners of that business were here in Liverpool just up skilling their training and we were hearing some amazing stories mm -hmm. Because we look at a business plan with our business minds and we fall short. Were they chartering the boat? What were they doing with they the boat? They bought the boat and they were chartering the boat out for holidays. For tours? Like for tourists. Of, okay. In a place where there was no tourists. Okay. Oh. So we're thinking, you know, for a business, <laughs> yeah. one thing you need is a customer. Right, right. So if we're going to start a business with no customers, you pull your hair out to yeah. say, how, yeah. is, how is this going to work? Yeah. So we, we, we looked at this and we... I don't know, these people were just praying and they said, you know, one day the king's going to come. Yeah. And one day the king came. And when that happened, so did all his entourage come. Wow. And then the market grew and right. the center became a center of tourism. And mm -hmm. now hotels are being mm -hmm. shut up. And now the, the business is growing mm -hmm. and business is flowing into that from the word of God, mm -hmm. not from the word of a businessman. So it's, um, that's an amazing example. And there are probably tons of those. You know, people have yeah. gone out to places like Mongolia. 20 years later, they're trading. They've, they've been discipling people in their workplace from one store to two stores. Mm -hmm. In Tbilisi, Georgia, there's a business there that's gone from a startup mm -hmm. to four, five, six outlets mm -hmm. in food and beverage. So there are some great success stories mm -hmm. and there are some mighty disasters. Yeah. You know, and we've gone and we've seen things collapse around my wonderful story of in Laos where we had a pig farm going and it didn't work because we didn't calculate the fatality rate of pigs. Right. So we've got successes, we've got failures and we've got a whole bunch in the middle. Um, what has surprised you in this whole process and this journey? Has anything surprised you? Um, I think God always surprises us. Mm. You know, we can work at a business plan and use our heads, but quite often we find that we never really see breakthrough until we get on our knees. Mm. So in the same way as we think about a church environment or any environment, we see when we get on our knees and we ask God into our boardrooms, into our meeting places, mm -hmm. that's where we see things and that's where we're surprised. Mm. We're surprised with strategy that comes out of our prayer mm -hmm. rather than comes out of a book or mm -hmm. comes out of a conversation. Like a, a tourism business where there are no tourists. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So where is this going? What, like, what's your vision? What do you dream about? What's next? Well, it's, in many ways, it's a development. It's a, a consolidation and it's carefully analyzing new businesses when they come in. So mm -hmm. when someone comes in and joins our agency and say, well, what are the openings? Some of these people will see business as an opportunity. Here we want to increase the knowledge, increase the ability to grow that business. Mm -hmm. And we want to have coaching and mentoring going on. So, yeah, so I think that that's, that's part of it. And I think just to keep looking after the people. Yeah. All right. Just to, for those of you listening, we are in a language school. Um, it is a very busy happening place, and we have tried to find a quiet room, but there's just a lot going on around here. So bear with us. Business's mission is, is one of the many things that World Horizons does. It's one of the things that attracted, attracted me to this organization um, is 
how creative, you know, my, my church is one, one of their taglines is to reach as many people as possible, as creatively as necessary. And I love that. And I love that about this organization. But now I want to talk to you about the good stuff because you have been getting into art and art is why we're here. You know, we, we came with our gallery, with our love your neighbor, uh, art show, but you have been dabbling in art. Can you tell us what you've been doing and what, what, what that's meant to you? And well, you can't go to Richmond and come back untouched by our art. Mm. And I love going to Richmond each year, working with the teams there. And somewhere along the line, that opened up for me. And I remember just as a kid, I wanted to paint and I wanted to draw. Mm. But in my era, the opportunity wasn't really there. We were expected to do other things. So only over the last 18 months, two years, mm -hmm. this has been awakened for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of seeing how art is used in a very similar way. Mm. The expression of art is seeing Christ revealed mm. through art, creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's just, for me, really, really exciting. Mm. I love the way here we've got a language school, we've mm -hmm. got art, and we've mm -hmm. got business working together. And these are spheres that God is at work in, and enabling us to proclaim this gospel, to speak out this gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm loving art. It's a whole new discovery thing for me. My wife's really happy because I'm not working so many hours. Yeah. And so I'm going to go and do a drawing. Yeah. And she's still freaking out, trying to understand <laughs> what's going on. But, no, it's, um, it's become a big part of my life, and I'm loving it. And what you guys do in Richmond has been an inspiration oh, for that, that for us. That's great. That's great. Is there anything else you want to, you want to say or tell us about what you're doing or your plans or anything? Um, well, I think the, the, the idea of us working together with language, which of course, Hounder's business here is a business. Right. It's profitable. It's impacting the mm. community. Mm. I think I'd like to see us having an impact in the community here more. Mm. I'd like to see us engaging with the government here in Liverpool. Mm. I'd like to see us in those corridors mm. and bringing you know good news into those places too i think the next emerging area is likely to be in politics wow. how do we see our lives in the public arena because once we get our life sorted out personally we oh, can enter the i know but politics you take that back to my country and it is a mess right now whatever side of the aisle you're on it's like a yeah i've, I've got to say yes it seems like it's a mess and we're looking over there from the uk and saying what is that mess yeah you know god is over all of that absolutely i look over businesses and say you know what that is a mess but there's a solution and there's a way through and that will be resolved in our needs. Mm. I think we can pray into these things. Yeah. And I have to say, God's in control of all of that. Sure. Whoever's running these countries, God is over all the nations. Yeah. And I want to trust and believe in that. Mm. I think that's a great place to end. So David Skews, thank you for your time and thank you again for having us here. We've loved being here. That's great. You can come back anytime. Thanks. I'm going to thank take you. you up on that. And I think that's it for me in Liverpool. So um, we will be back. Farley and I will be back next week. But thank you so much to um, Hownie and David and all of the team in Liverpool who welcomed our team um, so uh, well. It's been a great time. And um, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, please uh, leave us a review on um, iTunes. If you have any questions or comments or show ideas, please email us at podcast at reachthenations.org, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Unedited. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Hillside Missions and Gallery Edit in Richmond, Virginia. 
You can reach us at podcast at reachthenations.org. Yeah.